God, we cry out to you right now, and we ask that your mercy would beckon, beckon the hurting, beckon the traumatized, beckon the one who carries much baggage into this room on the topic of sex. God, would you begin healing that person? Would your touch begin to heal the wounds that that person carries? May their heart be open to charting a path to restoration, to charting a path to flourishing. God, I also pray that your truth would wrestle the stubborn one in the room into agreement with what your word says on the topic of sex. So we ask that your spirit would perfectly calibrate the grace and the truth that must be put forward as a local church talks about sex. So God, we trust you. We ask that you'd be here even now and spirit touch each one of our hearts and speak over our hearts, not what we want to hear, but what we desperately need to hear. We open ourselves to you this morning, mighty, loving, and trustworthy God. Together, everyone says, amen. So, the year was 2001, and I was a freshman in high school, and I had registered for Sex Ed 101. And if you remember that part of your middle school, high school upbringing, I know that I remember walking into classroom thinking, This is going to be really awkward. I'm not looking forward to this moment. And I just happened to sit next to a cute girl in that class that morning. I looked at her and I thought to myself, we'll never be study partners in this class. That is for certain. Going through one class of sex ed in high school when I was a freshman made me realize how much I didn't want to learn about sex in the public school. It made me realize how much I didn't want to learn about sex from anybody else except for how I wanted to learn about sex and how I wanted to learn about sex and how my teacher wanted to teach me about sex were definitely in conflict, okay? I don't know if that is your story. I don't know where you heard or learned about sex. Sex 101, sex ed, well, no, whatever class you took in middle school or high school, Perhaps you didn't take a class, or perhaps before you did take the class, a mom or a dad tried to awkwardly have this conversation with you, but way too late. And so you're sitting there with your mom or your dad, and you're like, I already know everything. (laughs) And here you are being super awkward with me, trying to explain and describe something I'm pretty aware about already. Or maybe it was as well-meaning as a well-intended youth pastor preaching through Song of Songs at youth group, and you're like, this is just weird and awkward. Or tragically, you've learned about sex, sexuality, you've taken Sex Ed 101, but you took it involuntarily. You took it because someone took advantage of you as a child, And you didn't have the ability to understand what was happening to you in the moment. But you went to Sex Ed 101 regardless. 
Maybe you found a father's or a grandfather's stash of pornography in the basement or the attic, and you didn't know what you'd stumbled upon, but you found it nonetheless, and you went to Sex Ed 101 involuntarily. Whether you learned it in school, you learned it from a parent, you learned it from a youth pastor, or you learned it involuntarily in an abusive and unhealthy way, there is one true statement that applies to all of us that are under the sound of my voice this morning. And it's quite simple. Every adult human has attended Sex 101. Every adult human has attended this class. Every one of us have gone to this school. Like I said, whether it was in a well-meaning way at school or by a parent or by a youth pastor or something like that or an unhealthy way, you experienced trauma or abuse or discovery of something much too early in your childhood, every adult human has attended Sex Ed 101. By God's grace and by God's wisdom and by God's power, we can unlearn the curriculum taught by the enemy's syllabus. The Bible in the Gospel of John says that Satan is the father of lies. I want you to know something before we go on any further this morning. The world's sex ed teacher is a liar. The world's sex ed teacher is a liar. And he's been a liar since day one, and he lies about everything that's important to God, including sex and sexuality. The enemy is a liar, and every adult human in this room has accidentally, voluntarily, or involuntarily attended a class taught by the enemy and his syllabus. So this morning, I'm going to teach things out of God's Word that have been in God's Word for thousands of years. And although I would like to say that, yeah, most of this stuff I agree with, I am not sharing with you my explicit opinion all of the time. I am going to faithfully, as best I can, reteach what God's Word has said now for over 2,000 years. Why teach the Bible, and why teach what it has to teach on sex at all? Well, for example, here we have Super Bowl Sunday, right? Go Eagles. I say that because I like bald eagles. I don't know. Um, go football. Yeah, I think fishing's on later this afternoon. I'll watch that. Every year around Super Bowl weekend, there is a data spike. And that data spike reports that Super Bowl weekend, once a year, is the weekend with the highest percentage of prostitution and human trafficking compared to the rest of the year. Why teach what the Bible has to teach on the topic of sex? It's quite simple. Whatever the church doesn't teach, the world will. Whatever the church does not teach, including sex and sexuality, the world will. And the world will often get these very sensitive, vulnerable subjects completely backwards. 
As a Christian, I am trusting that the word of God is foundational enough and trustworthy enough that I can say that is credible. That is trustworthy. I can look to that and say, hey, I'm not even sure if I agree with that yet, but I've got to believe it's credible and trustworthy. Whatever the church chooses to not teach, the world will teach. We are all being discipled. We're learning from someone or something. And so my prayer today and my hope is that the God of mercy will find just the exact words that your heart doesn't want to hear, but your heart needs to hear. Because there's a room full of 200 plus people so the data says that each this, this room right here is full of sexual trauma and bondage in need of healing. And there is a God full of mercy and grace who loves you so much in your current state, in your current mess, and refuses to allow you to wallow there because he loves you so much. And if you believe that the God of the heavens and the earth loved you that much, could you also believe in the words that he's put forth in his scriptures? So I don't know what you need to hear, but God does. So may your heart and mind be open this morning. And there might be things that I teach over the next half hour that you just vehemently disagree with. And that's okay. I would just ask for the respect to be disagreed with one-on-one later, face-to-face, out of respect for everyone else in the room. The question that I'm aiming to answer this morning is simple. Is sex sacred? Is sex sacred? Because if it is not, there is no limitation for the application and the expression of sex. If sex is not sacred, the pornography industry, which is predatory in nature and worth more than the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Fishing, combined, (laughs) combined, If it is not sacred, the pornography industry, which is predatory, will continue to target 12-year-olds and take them to school. And in that school, pornography teaches that sexual violence is normal. It teaches that multiple partners at the same time is normal. It teaches that the free expression of sex, sexuality, should never be limited or restrained. This water slide has made its way into the toilet. I don't know how much you keep up with the discussion around sex in general, but the conversations I've picked up on in certain circles in the past year and a half is that pedophilia is a sexual orientation that should be accepted and embraced. How did we get here? How did a world get to that conversation? I heard this last week and I looked it up and I realized just how true this sentiment was. What one generation accepts in a small amount 
future generations normalize. Sin has this ability to look like no big deal to one generation. And in the next generation, it becomes this normalized, accepted thing. The enemy is very sneaky about these things because he doesn't just replace it entirely. He takes something that's true and twists it ever so much. So it appears to be true, but lasts with devastating impact if engaged. The enemy is a crafty snake. He is a serpent that loves to misteach his disciples and get them off course just enough to create devastation in their worlds. This is why the church must teach about sex. We've opted here to just preach it from the platform a minimum of once a year because I believe it's enough, it's sufficient to begin a journey. And so many of you this morning might be listening to the Holy Spirit and be like, oh man, I'm in for it this morning. The Holy Spirit is going to teach this in me and reveal something in me. And that's beautiful and that is good and that is my hope. And then there are others who are like, look, I'm willing to have some cultivated soft soil in my heart and maybe this will grow over time. The reality is, is I think that preaching this at least once a year is enough to start a journey, for you to start a journey of sexual healing for those who have experienced sexual trauma in some way, for someone in the room who's hopelessly addicted in some sexual way, I believe it's sufficient for a chart and a path of healing. It could be as simple and beautiful as a married couple who, who once enjoyed sex, but now it's kind of on the back burner. Perhaps this morning could reignite that passion, this gift in your marriage. But I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak over your heart what it needs to hear. Now, if, se if sex is sacred, if sex is sacred, I believe it can be enjoyed as one of the most beautiful gifts God has ever given to humanity, save Jesus himself. If sex is sacred, strained marriages can begin to heal and flourish. If the Bible has the authority to define sex, there is hope that sex can be enjoyed and delighted in. So, on this day, February 12th, 2023, class is in session. Biblical Sex Ed 101. You just showed up to class on time. You did well. You are here. It is a beautiful thing. In Biblical Sex Ed 101, the syllabus is quite simple. We are going to define it, we are going to protect it, and we are going to promote it. Those are the three pieces of this syllable. That's right. Defining it, protecting it, and promoting it. Husbands and wives, I want you to be having sex. A lot of it. You never thought you'd hear your pastor say that, but I do. So as we unpack this three-part syllabus, may you have a spirit of humility to allow God to speak words over your heart that you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Let's define it. Biblical sex is consensual intercourse between husband and wife. Ephesians 5.31 makes this 
crystallized. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his, say it, and the two will become one flesh. One flesh. It doesn't say a man shall leave his parents and be united to his girlfriend. I wish it did. It just doesn't. It doesn't say a man shall leave his parents and be united to the person that he loves. It says wife. A wife is a woman. A woman is an adult human female. Sex is a good thing and a delight when enjoyed in the right place. So I want you to take a deep breath and relax for a second. I realize this is a heavy subject, so just take a deep breath and let it out. Let all those jitters out. And agree to have a little bit of fun with me this morning, okay? Because if we can't laugh, we're not doing it right, all right? By show of hands, who in this room, if I gave it to you, would eat a $100 filet mignon from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? By show of hands. Okay, most of you. All right, keep your hands up. Right, yeah, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, keep your hands up if you would eat it off of the floor of a public bathroom. Liar. <laughs> Liar. I know you would. <laughs> How about for those who enjoy some fine wine, and I, I do love some Cabernet Sauvignon. I think I said that right. <laughs> and Tuesday night is coming, right? I think we're celebrating our Valentine's tonight because my wife works late on Tuesday. But I love some Cabernet Sauvignon. Would you drink Cabernet Sauvignon with a straw out of a toilet bowl? I want the laughter in the room so that we can relax for a second. But in all seriousness, a good thing enjoyed in the wrong place isn't good anymore. A good thing worth value enjoyed in the wrong place destroys its value. A good thing enjoyed in the wrong place isn't good and enjoyable anymore. And some of you in this room have been trying to enjoy a good thing in the wrong place, and you're frustrated as to why it's not as good as you hoped it would have been. And you've been trying to enjoy this good thing in the wrong place for so long. You've been eating that $100 steak over and over. You're just eating it off the wrong plate. You've been enjoying that cab for so long. You're just like, why isn't the taste there? Why isn't this good anymore? You've been trying hopelessly to enjoy a good thing in the wrong place. And you're so frustrated and you're so exhausted as to why it's not fulfilling what you thought it would fulfill. And you carry this burden. You carry this heavy, heavy burden because you keep going back to the same steak. You keep going back to the same wine. And you're carrying a burden so heavy because you are hopelessly hoping that it will do for you what it promises it will do for you and disappointed every single time. 
and you carry a burden of shame and regret and remorse. And you carry a burden so heavy because you're hopelessly addicted to pornography or you've gone broke spending your money on prostitution or you don't know, you don't know what to do because you put yourself out there and then you are exploited online. Someone who was supposed to protect you ended up taking advantage of you and you've been keeping this to yourself for all of these years and never told a soul. Or worse, the unthinkable has happened to you and you've been raped. And you carry this burden and it's heavy and you feel like you're just dragging it around all the time. And you're so tired of it because it feels like it's crushing you. And you can't stand it anymore. And so you just keep looking for ways to cope with that pain. And it hurts because if you were to tell someone, you're so scared that they're going to judge you. And you're so terrified that if you bring this up to your mom, your dad, a trusted friend, a pastor, a counselor, a therapist, your boss, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose respect. You're going to lose your reputation. And if you, if you tell your spouse that you're addicted to porn, if you tell your spouse that you're visiting prostitutes, you're fearful that they're going to leave you forever. And you carry this burden that's so heavy. It feels like it's crushing your soul. You know what Jesus says to you, friend? He says, come to me. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That burden that you are carrying is far too heavy for the human frame. Bring it to Jesus. Bring that burden to Jesus. Some of you feel so dirty and so unlovable, and yet the God of heaven and earth sees you as he's made you and says, come to me. You're not dirty. You're lovable. You're my child. And some of you have been running from God because of the shame and regret that's associated with sex and sexuality and sexual sin. But you serve a God who looked for Adam and Eve in the garden. You serve a God who comes after you voluntarily, not waiting for you to clean up your life. His love for you is so complete, so sufficient, so powerful, so incredible that he chases after you when you carry that burden. And by God's grace, may you have the courage to bring that burden before the king of the universe today. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened by sexual sin, by the weight, the chains of regret and shame. You feel unlovable. I will give you rest. Take my, yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You do not serve a God who will point his finger in your face and make you feel horrible about your past. 
He is humble and kind in heart, waiting with his arms wide open for you to embrace him. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who here is grateful that we serve a God who opens his arms this wide and says, run to me, child. Run to me, child. Come to me in your mess. Come to me with your burdens, with your regret. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Come to me. Oh, that you would know a God who loves you that much who's calling on you to come to him, who's trustworthy and credible. So, maybe that's you today. Your burden has gotten way too heavy for the human frame, and you are ready to bring it before God. Just as a little primer, at the end of service today, there will be plenty of opportunity for that in the prayer room. Let's move on in the syllabus. Now that we've defined it, let's protect it. Look at Hebrews 13, 4. It says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And you're like, Luke, wait a second. You just told me, you just told me that to bring my burdens before the Lord. What's this all about? Okay. Acknowledging our complicity in accepting the enemy's definition of sex has led to sexual sin. And the sooner we can acknowledge that, the sooner the Holy Spirit can heal it. Whatever you don't acknowledge and don't name, you should not expect to be healed. Okay? This comment, this next comment I'm going to share is not for the person in the room who's like, look, I'm not even a Christian. And I'm just here because my friend invited me. I'm super curious about the local church, but I don't know God. Okay? This comment does not apply to you. But if you know Jesus... If you trust Jesus, this comment is for you. Sexual sin is settling for less than God's best for your life, but pretending like it's better. And some of us in this room have been pretending for far too long. And maybe today is your day to stop pretending and acknowledge it and name it, that it's in your life, but you don't want it in your life, that you desire something more, Sexual sin is settling for less than God's best, but pretending like it's better. Sex and sexuality, as defined by the Bible, deserves protection. It's so vulnerable. It's part of the human experience that carries so much impact if facilitated and managed improperly. It deserves protection. Something that vulnerable deserves protection. Now, if you knew me before I was the age of 17, you would have been like, that dude is on a fast track to uh, bad news. And I was until I met Jesus. And then after I met Jesus, he put me on a slow track of maturity and discipleship and growth. And many of you share that very same story. But for whatever reason, even though after I met Jesus, Jesus has been cleaning up my very messy life ever since, for whatever reason, he protected me and guarded me against sex. Specifically, intercourse with a human female. 
And I don't share this to brag. I share this simply as part of the context to the story. But my wedding night, my wife and I were both virgins. I don't share that to get an applause or be braggadocious in any manner, but it's critical to the story because we had to work very hard to keep ourselves virgins before we got married. Now, many of you are like, cool, Luke, cool, Luke, you just alienated me because I wasn't a virgin when I got married. Understand that this story is not finished. You see, my wife and I had to make a pact. We realized that God designed our bodies to work perfectly on the topics of chemistry and biology. And when I would kiss my girlfriend, it would usually lead to another kiss, because that's how kissing works. And then I proposed to her, and miraculously, she said yes. And I was like, hey, thank you, Lord. And so now I got to marry the girl of my dreams. And so when we were engaged, we had to make a pact and say, okay, if things get out of hand, we have to initiate the pact to keep from anything else from happening. Okay, okay, that sounds good, that sounds good. So about a month before we got married, I went overseas to facilitate a missions trip for the students that I was a youth pastor for. I came home after two weeks, I had my fiance over for a movie night, and we watched the movie. And movies are the perfect backdrop for a kiss, right? So I kissed her. And then I kissed her again, and then again, and then again, 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 and we're like, oh no, <laughs> our chemistry and our biology is working perfectly as God designed. Ashley, Ashley, I need you to initiate the pact. <laughs> now, what you don't know is that in the pact agreement, it was Ashley punching me in the face. So that was the pact, that she had to punch me in the face. So when we realized that we had to initiate the pact, I said, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. Just punch me in the face. So Ashley swung, rounded up her fist, and threw it as hard as she could at my head and missed my face <laughs> and hit me in the ear. And it worked really well. I don't think I kissed her again till our wedding night. <laughs> Mostly because I couldn't hear her talking to me. Because she punched me in the ear. I share that ridiculous story so that you will know what it takes to protect something so vulnerable, so delicate, and there are those in the room who are like, Luke, we didn't initiate a pact and we just did the deal. It's like, okay, okay, okay. No one's holding your past against you. Only you're holding your past against you. God forgives you. Cry out to him and ask him for that forgiveness. He gives it freely. He's not filing away your history. His love is more than that. He doesn't keep record of that wrong. You cry out for forgiveness and it's yours freely. But you've got another chance. God is the God of multiple chances, one after the other, because his patience is so long. His fuse is so sufficiently long. 
And there are those in the room right now that are like, I would, I would love to start protecting something that vulnerable, that delicate in my life. Okay, well then let's make a plan. Make a plan. What could a plan look like for you to begin protecting something that vulnerable, that delicate? Single men, single women, what will you do to protect something that vulnerable, that delicate? Something if mismanaged or misused can make all kinds of impact in your life that you don't want. What are you willing to do to protect that? Now that we've defined it, now that we've acknowledged that it's worthy of protection, let's promote it. 1 Corinthians 7.5 says, Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This means that sex is for procreation and for pleasure. It is for procreation and for pleasure. Sex in itself can protect a married couple. Think about that for a second. And look at the text. It says, do not deprive each other unless by mutual consent mutual consent, and for a time, not so that you can go watch a movie or go for a run or anything like that. It says so that you would devote yourselves to prayer. Babe, you interested tonight? No, not really. All right, let's pray. (laughs) If you're not having sex, you should be praying. (laughs) That's what the passage says. Sex is for procreation. And for pleasure. Some of you thought that was real funny. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I, I, I am under no illusion that there are married couples in this room who have a very strained sexual relationship. But you serve a God who can heal all things, including your sex life. So if there's someone in the room who's just like, man, I would love to get back to where we were at one time. Why don't you just have the conversation with your spouse and say, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to restore, to to heal, and to mend this very delicate, vulnerable piece of our relationship? What are you willing to do? Could we go to counseling and get therapy? Are you willing to, to lay it all out there and say, this is what I've experienced, this is what you've experienced, in a controlled setting, in a controlled environment? Perhaps there's a book study or there's just a general agreement to a discipleship on the topic of sex. I don't know, but you and your spouse could figure that out. You two could have a conversation and say, what are we willing to do to reignite this thing in our marriage that can bring so much delight, so much satisfaction and protection? And if you're not doing it, you need to be praying. Married couples, if the candle of sex is burned out in your marriage, seek help. But Luke, I'm single. Luke, I'm single. Does that mean that I won't ever get to enjoy biblical sex? And I would answer that question by asking you a question. Are you willing to imagine in your mind's eye all of the pain you could avoid if you chose not to? If you chose not to. So I'm assuming everyone in this room is 
okay to be in this room, but an orgasm lasts between 15 and 30 seconds. An orgasm lasts between 15 and 30 seconds. And King David, a man after God's own heart, who led the monarchy, the very bloodline by which Jesus himself would eventually come, saw Bathsheba on the roof bathing. He said, I got to have that. I got to have that. And so he took her for himself. He took her for himself and slept with Bathsheba. And there was so much regret and so much shame associated with that decision that he wanted to cover it up and had Bathsheba's husband, who served in his army, murdered. For the single person in the room who's just like, wait a second, you mean I don't get to enjoy biblical sex? I turn the question back around and say, do you want to endure the pain that will be associated if you do enjoy it in the wrong place? That's ultimately a question only you can answer, not me. That's a question that you and the Lord will have to wrestle about together. I don't have any kind of polished, crystallized answer beyond that, but are you, are you willing to take on the pain associated with that decision if you enjoy sex in the wrong place? And for those in the room that are like, dude, I relate to King David. I took something that really wasn't mine and I enjoyed it. King David went on to write Psalm 51. A psalm in scripture where he talks about his heart being full of contrition. Full of, of godly remorse. And says, oh my Lord, how I've only sinned against you. And he cries out for forgiveness. And God describes King David in all of scripture as a man after God's own heart. It's not about what you did. It's about who you go to after you made the decision you made. Everyone in this room has the ability and the propensity to turn their backs on God. But everyone in this room also has the same ability to run back to him. So King David was described as a man after God's own heart. Sex is so good. It is just not God good. Do you understand do you understand how the world has taught us that sex is the ultimate thing you must acquire for yourself? It is the best thing that you can use to spend your money on or spend your time on or, or give your emotional energy to. It's the, it is the end-all, be-all. And yes, sex is good, but it is not God. When I was 22 years old, I was an intern at a local church just here in town. This is about 14 years ago now. And I was a single guy and I lived with two other single guys and we all worked at the church and it was like a really fun chapter of my life because we stayed up late playing video games and eating pizza and it was awesome. And it was a Saturday night and I got a text from my cousin that said, hey, my cover band is playing at the Irish pub down the road from your apartment. You should come out. So like, hey, guys, do you want to go to this free cover band concert? Let's go. They're like, yeah, let's go. So we all piled in my 1998 Dodge Durango, and we drove to this Irish pub. I don't know if you've ever been to an Irish pub before, but oh, my. A lot of cigarette smoke, a lot of noise, a lot of beer, pool tables everywhere, a stage for the band. 
And my two buddies and I were all like 21, 22 years old. We're like, this is the best. And so we go and we listen to my cousin play all these cover songs. We're having a blast. Now picture this, right? There was a whole group of people kind of stuffed near the stage. And they're all dancing and bumping up on each other. And we're all just having a great time listening to all these songs being played by a band that doesn't really do all that good of a job playing the songs to begin with. But we're having a blast. And I found myself hanging with my two buddies just doing the one move. Tim, right? The one, the one move. That's the only move I got, right? The one move. And I found myself, I'm getting bumped by someone, like right here, like a bump. I'm like, who is bumping me? Why do I keep getting bumped? And there was this sweet lady, maybe 10 years older than me, who kept bumping me. It's like, why is this lady bumping me? So I whisper over to my friends, like, do you guys see this? They're like, yeah, man, that's hilarious. So she keeps bumping me, and we're all hanging out in the front there, and then she starts to talk to me. Minimum, a decade older than me. So she's chatting with me, and she's bumping me, and I didn't think much of it at the time because 22-year-olds can't see past their nose, but I'm bumping against this lady, and she's bumping against me, and I realized, looking back, this lady was hitting on me. This is pre-girlfriend this is before I even met my wife of today. So here I am hanging out at this Irish pub, hanging with my buddies, and here's this lady, pretty well-meaning, making small talk with the guy on the dance floor next to her. This happens for the next, like, 15, 20 minutes. Her group of friends is dancing. My group of friends is doing, like, the one move, right? And we keep trying to exchange comments, even though nothing is audible because the band is just simply too loud. And the night kind of faded. Didn't think much of it. There wasn't much to think about. Until the night was over. And the band stopped playing. And my buddies and I started to leave. Here was this nice lady at the bar stool at the exit door. And I didn't think much of it. And I didn't think much of it at the time at all. And I was walking past her and she stopped me with her hand on my arm. She gave me a folded piece of paper. And I looked at my buddies with their eyes wide open and eyebrows raised. They're like, don't look at us. We don't know what to do. And I walked out with my two buddies and I opened the piece of paper and it said, call me anytime with her number on it. I looked at my buddies. My buddies looked at me and there was bro laughter like you could only imagine so I took that little piece of paper and I dropped it in the cigarette butt top of a trash can and didn't think about it the rest of the night. It was Saturday night. It's like, oh, these things happen. It's kind of weird, kind of goofy. We went back home, played some video games, went to bed. Well, Sunday morning came. I went to church the next morning. I was an intern at a church. And there I was in church service, just like you are right now sitting in a row of chairs. And the pastor did this like weird thing where he was like, it's the Sunday where I want to acknowledge all the volunteers in the room and all of the staff in the room for serving so faithfully and giving your time and talents and energy to the kingdom of God. And would you please stand? As an intern, I was like, well, I guess I'm included in that comment. And so I stood. And there was like this brief, you know, applause. 
the whole church gave. This is 14 years ago, so my memory is not quite there. But as I turned around to find my flip seat, because these were on springs, my flip seat, I, I, I grabbed the flip seat and put it down. As I turned around, the very same woman that handed me the piece of paper was sitting in the chair behind me with her husband sitting next to her on his phone. And the woman saw me and locked eyes with me. And she went ghost white. And she stood up and she ran out of there about as fast as I've ever seen anyone run. And to this day, I'm begging God that she ran to the prayer room. And I don't know where she ran because the Holy Spirit rocked her world. The Holy Spirit rocked that woman's world like I've never witnessed. And some of you men and some of you women in this room this morning need your worlds rocked so that you're willing to make a change in your life that leads to something healthy and beautiful and godly. And you have a choice. You can run too when the Holy Spirit rocks your world. You can. You can run to the prayer room and beg for godly people to place their hands on you and cry out for God's love over you. To begin a charting a path for healing and restoration over your life. Or you can run in shame and regret and remorse. That's not what God wants for you. I'm praying and believing in my heart of hearts that woman ran to her pastor or a counselor or a trusted friend to get it all out. I'm trusting the Lord that she ran to the proverbial prayer room that morning. But I don't know for sure. But this morning, you can absolutely run back to the Father. You can absolutely run to the community of God and cry out for the help that your soul desperately needs on this topic. Don't wait a second longer for this to kill you. Cry out to the God of heavens and earth. It says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God in heaven, I don't know who in this room just got the world rocked by you, Spirit. I don't know if it's the single person, the single woman, the single man. I don't know if it's the husband or the wife. Maybe it's the student in the room. But Holy Spirit, you have a especially, you have an especial gift for rocking people's worlds. Would you just give us the courage to run to you after you rock our worlds? Would you just give us the courage to cry out to you and beg for the healing that you offer so freely? Would you give us the courage to run to the prayer room and make confessions maybe for the first time ever to get it out so the burden doesn't crush the frame? Oh God, would you give courage to these people? Lord Jesus, give courage to these people so that they would find a path of healing, of restoration, of health and a restored relationship with you, mighty God. May this church be filled with healthy people engaged in a mission worthy of their lives. But this issue tends to get in the way. 
and hold us back from the best that you promise us. So God, we deliver our hearts over to you with open hands and an open heart. We say, rock our worlds, God. And we will run to you.